Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today I am joined by two very special guests, Mrs. Miriam Zakon from Eretz Yisrael and Mrs. Libby Lezevnik from Baltimore, two veteran writers who need no introduction. Thank you so much to both of you for being here. Thank you for inviting us. Our pleasure. I should mention, just so that our viewers know, that uh, both of you paid a visit here to Art Scroll. This was not planned, this conversation, <laughs> but when we have two iconic writers in the house, we had the chutzpah to ask you if you'd sit down with us for a little while to schmooze. And one of the things that I learned from both of you is that you're actually old, old friends. Tell us about that, maybe, uh, Miriam. Emphasis on old. Uh, <laughs> Libby and I uh, went to first grade together, and I have the little picture that prove it. And then Where was that? In Beis Yaakov, a borough park, Rabbi Aaron Rechman, Beis Yaakov. Then they, split, they moved around, we were both from Borough Park, and they moved around the, the for, for a few years we were separated just because there were a lot of classes, and from fifth grade through today, <laughs> we've been friends, we've worked together, we have done a lot of laughing together, <laughs> a lot of schmoozing, and it's just a really special friendship. You know, I know her whole family, she knows my whole family, we lived near, t near each other when Libby lived in Hanof, we were also neighbors, chavrusas, everything. So I have a unique vantage point because uh, thinking back, I grew up really on a lot of both of your writings, whether it was the Baker's Dozen and the BY Times, if I could admit it, um, your column in the Yathed, which you've been writing for now over three decades, I think it is, that you've been writing a, a, a continuous like column, something like that. Um, both of you, tell us how you got into writing and when did you know that this was going to become a career for, for each of you? Well, I think I came by it honestly because my father, Lava Shalom, he was um, a writer even before the war in Europe. He, they called him Eli the Poet because he just wrote poems and he, he wrote in Hebrew or Yiddish and he, he had that type of writer's mind always wanting to put down his feelings on paper. He didn't write fiction, but he wrote. And his letters were a work of art, like his friends kept them. And then, uh, the, but he never got to publish anything because of the war. So, and when he came to America, it wasn't, English wasn't his first language, so he never published anything. But I have it in my blood. I just, from the time I could hold a pen, I've been writing poems, stories, and just, I, I knew I was going to be a writer because that's all I wanted to do. What was your first published item that you, that you recall? In my eighth grade uh, <laughs> yearbook, maybe, uh -huh. or newsletter, whatever, newspaper. Uh -huh. how, about, how about you? Yeah, well, Libby and I have an identical twin sister who looks just like me, and, and, and three of us were threesome every Friday. We go 17th Avenue, 60th Street to the library, and we come out, each of us, with a stack of books. We each, you know, I'd read a stack, she, and then we'd look around the next Friday again. So I've been a, a reader since forever, and I don't even remember. I mean, I did make a serious newsletter, and I believe it was in third grade, called the Imagination Society. So that. Mm -hmm. And I think in the second or third grade, they actually published a poem that my twin sister and I wrote in the PTA thing. And I've been writing ever since. So, uh, and okay, if you want to know how professionally, so I'm newlywed and this has been my dream for years. I want to be a writer, which sounds ridiculous. What do you want to do? I want to be a writer. And um, we're moving to Eretz Israel, and my husband, Ava Shalom, uh, gave me a present. And he gave me business cards. And this is in the days when you had to go to a printer. And he printed me up business cards that said, Miriam Stark Zakon, writer, editor, translator. And it, 
it just, it, it, suddenly I was a writer. I had a business card to prove it, and I became a writer, translator, and editor. Wow. And, uh, what, what are you most proud of when you're looking back of years? Between both of you, you probably have <laughs> written about dozens of books between, between both of, words. of you. A lot of words. You're still writing, um, you write a weekly art scroll column that go in, goes into a newspaper. You're writing magazine columns, newspaper columns. There's a lot going on. And books. Can I know her and books? And you haven't slowed down. Is there anything in particular that you look back, maybe because of the difficult nature of the project, that you say, wow, that was a, a, a monumental achievement? Yeah. Um, was it Art School who put out Positive Word Power? Yeah. So the Chafetz Chaim Heritage Foundation asked me to do a children's version of that based mm -hmm. on that, taking each lesson, and I had to weave it into the chapters of a novel for kids. Mm -hmm. That was very challenging, but I think I, I, I felt such satisfaction when I d was done wow. because it was such a worthwhile project. Speaking of impactful, I should mention um, your husband, Rabbi Nachman Zekon, Zechron of Racha, penned the weekly Parsha series. Which, talking about an impact, that's a series that Kanaina Har is selling remarkably well and is um, making a huge um, difference. It's because I was trying to think what's I'm most proud of. Varsham, there's a lot. But I thought, this is like you're asking me which kid do I like better. I uh -huh. love my books. I, I don't have, but as you mentioned, that yeah, the one I guess that certainly I think made the most impact was my work together with, with my husband, Achman. Uh, I mean, he wrote it and I edited him. And, it's interesting when you're an editor of your husband. <laughs> it's a good, good Shalom bias uh, lesson. And, and uh, I think that's probably the one, certainly, that I should be the most proud of because it has such a beautiful uh, set. From, from your years having written and, and been published, uh, you, do you have any tips to people out there? There are, as much as writing is a lost art, there are talented writers. We see a young crop of writers. Um, people putting out books. Are there any tips that you could give to people? Is it just as simple as writing so that you could learn how to write or reading? What do, you, what do you think the secret is? I would say three things. Number one, read. So you get to understand what the music of good language sounds like. Mm -hmm. Read good books. And number two, sit down and write. You know, people procrastinate even things that they love to do, so you have to make it a, a, a steady thing. And also, when it comes to editing your own work, there are two fallacies that people fall into. One is that they either don't edit enough or that they edit too much. Mm. I once met a young woman who was editing the same short story for five years. <laughs> it was never finished, never perfect. At some point, you have to say, must speak. You know? uh -huh. And also, you, you have to edit your own work you know, in the other direction. You have to, the first draft is never usually your best. You should right. go back. How, how about you? you? You have any tips? I think let me put it pretty well. The only, you know, in addition to being a writer, I've been an editor for many years and I do acquisitions here at Artscroll, so I get to see a lot of manuscripts. And first you write from the heart, what you want to write. But if you want to publish, you also have to recognize that there's two people in this room. There's you mm -hmm. and there's the reader whether it's making sure it's what you, your message is coming through clearly to your reader. And yeah, I'll be honest, you have to make sure that the reader is interested. You know, right. you, if, if you love you know, the, uh, the appetites of what, what sharks like to eat, that's great, but very few people are really mm -hmm. interested in that. So, I was going to uh, ask you, as far as the acquisitions yeah. email that you get, emails literally every day, hundreds, people sending hundreds, in all different types hundreds, of manuscripts, yeah. How do you determine, okay, this is a manuscript that I should bring up with the editorial board? And <laughs> First, how do you so let me it? say, I, I, as Wachila, I hate rejecting manuscripts. And just because I reject it 
I mean, you know, if I can mention Harry Potter here, Harry Potter had many, many rejections before, and I, the list many of, other great authors. Of, of great authors who were rejected, I would like to think I haven't rejected <laughs> Harry Potter, but, but um, they can be rejected for many reasons, they can be accepted for many reasons. Look, we, I've been in this business, Baruch Hashem, for many years, and you get a certain sense of what people want to read, and that, right. you can write a really wonderful book, but I do have to get a book that people will read. Um, it's, Art Scroll has very, very high standards, and I think people wear that. We're, we're often the first stop for a manuscript, and hopefully I can say, wow, great manuscript. The best and the most rewarding to me is when I get a manuscript which just needs some work, but it's very promising, and I love, that's my second love after writing, is working with authors and trying to mm -hmm. get it to be the very best. That, and I've had some authors who I did that with, and it's fabulous. It's a great Because you, you get to see the project it's, it's like, come to fruition. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm the midwife who gets right. this. Right. Well, get, people who put out books, they all say it's like, it's like giving birth to giving a child. Birth. So sometimes I'm so giving the birth, enabler. but I'm, I'm the doula. I'm the midwife. Right. Getting, it's a fabulous, fantastic feeling. That's tremendous. Um, I, I have to ask this. Literary, literary pet peeves. I'm sure you have it. Every writer, every editor has it. Especially when you're an editor and you're editing other people's writings, and there are things that you see people do time and time again that just irk you. What would you, what would you say that is? <laughs> well, you're more of the editor. Than, I edit sometimes. Well, what I'm saying is, I'm nastier than she is. Um, okay, keep it simple, guys. Use simpler language. You're not impressing me by using really fancy words that, unless there is a very good reason for it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's. It's not better writing if the reader has to read it three times to figure out what in the world you're trying to say. Keep it simple. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's that's uh, about the only one. I mean, uh, anything else? Also, I've noticed that over you know since I've written for several decades now, over time. As people's way of talking has changed, also writing has changed. Yes. My early books are much denser, longer paragraphs. Now it's chick, 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 chick. Uh -huh. You know, people have no attention span. Writers don't even have much of an attention span. <laughs> so that's something I uh, also look for. So really, you recommend if, that people adapt with the I'm times. I'm saying if you don't want, right? like Mimi said, you don't want to lose your readers. You don't want to bore them. When right. I wrote my first book, Shira Summer, I remember I didn't know what I was doing, and I would sit down and write a chapter, and then the next day I'd come back, sit down, read over the chapter, and if there was anything that bored me or lost me or that wasn't entertaining me as a reader, out it went. That's mm -hmm. how I edited my own work. Right. You have to remember, like Mimi said, there are two people in the room. You can't forget about the reader. So specific projects that both of you worked on, um, Baker's Dozen we mentioned before. <laughs> Had you come up with the concept? Well, she created it, Mimi. All right, so... Uh, Tell us a little about the background. Basically, I was looking, for, I wanted to do something new, and I asked around, I asked, I asked my sister who was in America, I was already in Eretz Yisrael, uh, like, what are the kids reading? And they were reading these series books. I don't know if I dare say the name. <laughs> and, and so we said, let's do it, but let's do it for from kids. I was actually, at first it was just like an idea, but when I started reading the stuff, that the, there weren't a lot of children's books out there, when I started reading them, I was really very upset. I said, basically, I girls should not be reading this stuff. The girlfriends, the boyfriends, there was a lot of stuff in there that was really not appropriate for our... So, so we came up with... I, 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 why BY Times? Because it's about a bunch of girls. We were always a bunch of girls in school. And I love journalism and I love writing. So I was going to do... They say write about things you love and this is what I love. And it just was... So we had a lot of fun with that one. Uh, basically, I, I am Leia Klein, I can admit it. Uh, I, I did get a, a nice portfolio of, 
uh, I did a character study of every single character, and, and I would do the plots. And I was looking for a good writer to write it, and I found my friend Libby. I became her assistant. And she, and and she, and she you wrote the first I wrote the first of the B.Y. Times and the Baker's Dozen, and then okay, many and during Dozen, the Dozen. And we plotted them all together. When B.Y. Times took off so well, we said, let's do another. And we decided to do a family one. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'll tell you the story before, I, I'm walking around and there was, for the younger people won't know, James Baker was a secretary of state. state and he didn't like Israel very much and he wanted to cut up Israel and give it away to our friendly neighbors. And someone had just put up a big sign and said, I could see myself on the street. I'm walking up and now thinking, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Big sign that says, Baker, cut your own loaf. It was cute political sign. And it just popped. I didn't pop. See, after the Shmaya, I said, let's call it the Baker's Dozen have 12 kids. And then I said, aha, a Baker's Dozen is 13. So I said, okay, we'll have 12 kids. And the last book, the 13th baby will be born. And the kids will be upset when not the Baker's Dozen. He said, no, kids, Baker's Dozen is 13. Uh, and that was, that was a lot of fun because I had to create 13, well, 12 because the other one's a baby, 12 kids. And mm -hmm. five of them were quintuplets. And, five, and the quintuplets, right. well, of course, twins like me are just boring. Quintuplets <laughs> are exciting. And I gave one, um, what's her name? I don't remember her name anymore. One, one had uh, vision problems. Tikva, Tikva had vision problems. You know, when you're doing it, you're trying to think already of ways to, uh, to plot. Right. And Livy and I, I think, I can't swear to it, I think it was 38 books we plotted in two and a half years. Wow. So that was... Because we put them out very frequently, right. and we would just come up, come up with a plot, and either one of us would write it, or we'd give it out to someone, and then we'd edit it. But we made up all the stories, all the plots. Yeah. So t typically, when you write a series of books, or let's say, Libby, when you're writing uh, a novel, you plot the book beginning to end? Uh, okay. This has a machlokas. We have a chiluke deos on this since forever. Since we used forever. to give writing and publishing workshops, and at the workshop we'd say, we have different opinions on this, you know, take what you want from uh -huh. it. So Mimi believes in starting with a great idea and a great character and a great situation and running with it, and you make it up as you and go. That's it. And for me, I feel that plotting ahead, not every detail, obviously, but as much as you can, the main flow of the story allows you to have foreshadowing and knowing where you're going. Uh -huh. Like, I can't imagine writing without that, uh -huh. to make it more powerful. So I do it my way. And See, I'm writing, and somebody said, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. We can use this for sh foreshadowing. And, you know, right. and so then you, develop you the know what's going to happen, right. and you foreshadow it. I do something and, and say, you say, hmm, foreshadowing, I'm going to do that. Right. But Mimi did realize at some point that she, oh. at that time, was writing mostly short stories that were maybe loosely collected into a book, like the Coens of Tzfat, whereas I was writing long novels that needed right. more plotting. So, right. uh, but now, when, when I did yeah. mine, I did a serial... Right. And which turned into a novel. You still did it. Though. And I was just looking at my original pitch for it, and about two thirds never happened, and about two thirds of the book did happen. Yeah. I, I just like to. Well, I do make some changes. Yeah. I don't stick to it completely, but I like to know where I'm going. You mean once you're done, you may go back and then reformulate? No, even as I'm going, it's sometimes uh -huh. something interesting. It will be an interesting conversation that could lead to something new, uh -huh. and I will incorporate it. Or if I want to make it longer, or I want to get rid of something, I need more of a plot, so I'll make another subplot. But, uh, or especially with novels, how, how do you come up with, with, the, with the plots and ideas? Do you have any creative place that you could go to to get those ideas? I think that's like probably the most frequently asked question that I'm asked, where do I get my ideas? Right. Uh, and I really get them, first of all, I get them anywhere, sometimes from my childhood or people that I know, sometimes just 
I can see someone on the street or hear a snippet of a conversation and it will just ignite something. Mm. If your mind is, just like they say, um, shul rabbis that have to give a drush every week, like they're always on the lookout. Always on the lookout. So it's, you're receptive to those things. And sometimes I'll just say, Hashem, help me, and he'll just drop it into my head, like uh -huh. if I'm really stuck. It's from uh -huh. everywhere. Now, have either of you experienced, you, it seems to come so natural to you that you write. Do you ever experience writer's block? I'm sure that's a question you've, get, you've gotten asked as well. I do sometimes if I'm very busy with other things like real life and I don't want to escape into my, my imagination. Uh -huh. I want to, so then it's hard for me to change tracks. But most of the time I set out, I carve out time to write and, and that it usually and works that out works. okay. Yeah. How, how about you? Never. Never. Never happened. Oh, I should say once when there was some really serious stuff going on. So for a couple, uh -huh. of, like I, I was supposed to be doing a chapter a week, and one week I couldn't do it. I just because somebody was sick, it was just a difficult. But no, well, when, when I wrote never. the little black box, actually, that reminds me. I, I, it's a three-book trilogy, and I wrote the first two, and I was supposed to write the third, but my father passed away right then, and I just didn't have a head for it. I could yeah. not write but, fiction, but, so someone else did. But the I third. wouldn't call it a writer's block. There's right. sometimes life so just distractions. Life distractions. Life gets, life gets too busy. Life gets in the right, way. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you, both of you are very busy writing. Do you have a chance to read? Oh yeah. Like le for leisure. Purposes? I devour books all the time. Uh huh. Yeah. I, I love reading. Any, anyone? Anyone specific? <laughs> well, you have to read a lot of. Manuscripts. Oh, it's interesting. I remember I once I had a really hard day in, in the office, and what am I doing all day? I'm reading, and I come home and go. It's such a hard day. I gotta relax. Give me a book, <laughs> but because but it because it's a, it really is a different, different of part reading. of the brain right. when I'm assessing a book right. or when I'm just enjoying a right. book. Right, there's leisurely but, writing no, and I, then there's writing. That I you're do doing have a problem because I, I as having edited for so many years, if someone. If there's something, I start editing books as yeah. I'm reading it. So, you know, some books don't lend themselves. <laughs> and I don't have enough really time to read mm. as much as I would like to. Now, Libby, I know you're working on a brand new series called The Starlight Sisters. Tell us a little about that and what's your vision for it? So, girls are always very interested in performing arts. And they, they attribute a certain glamour to people who perform. But unfortunately, in the outside world, it could be not sneistic. It could be people looking for attention in inappropriate ways. I wanted to do something Jewish and from for that. So I, I created a group of, uh, I created a new school that's a Beisiakov school in every way. But it also, after school, has a complete program for the performing arts. Um, music, singing, dancing, they take only totally super talented girls, you know, they, when they interview the girls for the school, they also audition them, and they have professional teachers giving them voice lessons and dance lessons and um, music lessons on their instruments. And then they, the point of it is that they're going to perform at tzedakah organizations for women that would like top-notch performances. And, uh, and the money will go to the, the tzedakah and also to the school, so everybody benefits. But it's an unusual kind of school. So this book deals with friendship issues like any other school. Each girl, um, there's going to be, I think, I'm envisioning five books in the series right now, and I start off with, with a few girls. It'll end up being five girls, and each one tells one of the books. So I did the first one now, mm -hmm. and um, you know, hopefully when that comes out, I'm still be, I'll be working on the second wow, one. Wow, that's very exciting. Yeah. And in addition to your talent, having dealt with both of you, I will say that I'm just as inspired and moved by your humility, both of you. You've made a <laughs> profound, really profound impact on the world of Jewish literature for the last four decades or so. 
and um, and yet you're so approachable, <laughs> and you listen to all of our all of our complaints and nitpicking <laughs> over here at Art School. Well, there's two things. Number one, we're doing what we love, and number two, we want the best product. If someone criticizes, it's if it's going to make the thing better, like. Why be upset you know about it? Say, if you love what you're doing, you'll never work a day in your life. I have to say, I don't think it's I ever worked a day true. in my life. Me too. Nine hour, wow. So, yes. Mitzchem, you should continue. Amen. Amen. Keep Amen. not working <laughs> and keep enriching all of us with your beautiful writings as you've done for so many years. And uh, we look forward to the to the new projects in Mitzvah Shem. Thank you for Thank this you. absolutely spontaneous so and fun. unscripted <laughs> and unexpected treat. Thank you. I'm sure Very it's a treat for our viewers I to finally so. hear from both of you and to see both of you. And thanks again for being here. Thank Our you. pleasure. Thank you. Hatzlacha.